chapter 5 this morning, and uh, so go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible and would like one, we have Bibles for you, and somebody will uh, hand them out to you. So just slip your hand up if you'd like a Bible, we'll have one, uh, and that's our gift to you. You can take it home. Um, and I'm just going to jump right in here. I'm going to actually go back a few verses into chapter 4 to start out because it's important going into chapter 5 kind of sets the context. So um, I know Zach taught on this last week, but I'm going to go back a few verses to 434, and I'm going to read from there. But before I read, let me just pray because I got off to a bummy start up here. I need the Lord to help me out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that um, that you're here with us, that we gather in your name and you're in our midst, and that, um, that I believe you want to teach us something. You want to, uh, to do a work in our hearts, and I pray that you would just use me in spite of me, Lord. Um, I pray that you would uh, use your word and that our hearts would be changed by it uh, for, uh, for good. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so, so starting in Acts 4, verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. A great Fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That's maybe the greatest understatement in all of the Bible. 
Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Wow. So, man, this, this, I spent so much time studying this passage this week because this is a tough one. Um, you got these people who decide to, to come and, and try and con the church, basically, and they die right on the spot. Um, not the most feel-good sermon. Um, probably, but, you know, I trust the Lord that every, every word of this book is profitable. Every word of it is for us. And so, this morning, I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to be maybe as uplifting as some sermons may be, but it is a calibration for our church. I was talking to Brian last night about it, and that's the way he put it. He said, you know, this, this was a calibration for this early church. They were going along, and when this happened, it fixed some wrong thinking that needed to be fixed. And so, what, what happened here? I mean, what, what happens is that I believe Barnabas was probably the first one to do this, to... To, to make this kind of a sacrifice, to sell land and then bring all the money to the church and say, here, you guys do with it what you want. And most likely after he did that, he was honored. I mean, they probably you know, talked about what an incredible sacrifice that was. And he, he may have um, started to have some responsibility and, and he may have kind of stepped into some leadership in the church. We see Barnabas throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So we know that he does become a leader in the church. We know that he ends up going with Paul on his missionary journeys. And so this may have been the very beginning of that and most likely was. And so people would have been saying, man, Barnabas is, he is awesome. Did you hear what Barnabas did? Like, wow, what? What a sacrifice that he made. And so he began to kind of get a reputation in the church. And, and I believe that what happened was that Ananias and Sapphira saw this and they wanted that reputation. They wanted to be honored. And so they had some land and they came up with this idea. They, they decided they were going to sell this, this property and keep some of the money, you know, as a nest egg, a little security for down the road, but that they would give the rest of the money to the church. They just wouldn't tell the church about that. They would lie about it so that they would appear to be these really great, generous people. But in 
reality they were they were in it for their reputation, for their image. So um, I believe that Barnabas, when he did it, I mean, he he was completely in it for the right motives. I believe that he he wanted to to give to help the cause. Right? I, I think that he was firmly rooted in his trust in the Lord. And he knew that just because he was going to get rid of some property, it wouldn't mean that he wouldn't be taken care of down the road. He knew that the Lord was going to take care of him. So, so he knew that it didn't matter if he, if he had this property, if he had this backup plan, if you will. And I also believe that he wasn't doing this for how it would look to anyone. He wasn't worried about his reputation. I believe his identity was firmly rooted in Jesus. And so he, he wasn't worried about that. But, but it was a, a result, as a result of his generosity, I do think that he was honored a great deal. Barnabas, I don't, I don't think he was at all confused about who he served. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And I, I don't think there was any confusion for him. I, I think he was, he was certain that he was serving God and God alone. And so these are some things that I see that would have been true about Barnabas, but would not have been true about Ananias and Sapphira. They, they wanted a claim without sacrifice. So they wanted what, what Barnabas had received. They wanted to be honored, but they didn't want to make the necessary sacrifices. They loved their comforts, so they loved their money. They loved security, whatever word you want to put on them. They were trusting that they would be okay down the road because they had put away this little amount of money. So they weren't putting their trust in the Lord. They were trusting themselves and their plan. They were trusting their money. And so they weren't fearing God either. Because they didn't trust the Lord, they didn't fear the Lord. And that's very clear to me. This, this is the, the verse that really jumped off the page. Was more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. More than ever. We've already seen massive growth in the church before this. And yet, more than ever, the kingdom was expanding. More than ever, people were coming to know the Lord. They were becoming a part of the church. And so, I, the big thing that I kept wrestling with this, I mean, wrestling with this all the way up until last night, until late last night, I'm going, what is, what is the real connection here between, why is this story here? What? The Holy Spirit decided to put this in here. Not a, not, and, and here's the proof of that. What, what person in their right mind, if they were going to write the Bible, you know, they're going to just decide to come up with all this themselves. What person in their right mind would put this story in here? Like, really? I mean, this doesn't exactly feel inviting. You know, come to... <laughs> Come check out our church. You 
might die. <laughs> you know, but we have, don't worry, we have people with shovels and tarps, so it's not, not going to be a problem. We'll just keep on going. So it's proved to me that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the scriptures. So why did he put this in here? I'm going, why? Why, Lord? why is this story in here? It's very important. Obviously, it's very important. And then I saw the connection. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That just says that they were, that great fear came upon them twice. It says it right after Ananias fell dead also. But the way that Luke, who wrote Acts, summarizes this story, at the end of this little story, is he says that. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And so, as I wrestled through this, I'm going, okay, here it seems to be that this is the big point that Luke is wanting us to understand about the results of this event. This happens, two people fall down dead, and, and he says, as a result of that, great fear came upon the whole church. So, then I had to ask, well, what does fear have to do with this kingdom expansion? What does fear have to do with the fact that more than ever, people came to know the Lord? More than any other time up until this point. What does this have to do with that? You see, because Ananias and Sapphira didn't fear the Lord, they decided to do this really foolish thing. You see, they, they didn't fear the Lord. They, they thought that they could just fool people and that that was all that really mattered. But the fear of the Lord says, no, God sees. It doesn't matter if, I'm, if I get away with it. Because God sees. Did you know that fear of the Lord is actually the starting point for all wisdom? It says in Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14.27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15.16 Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. 
he will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. The Bible has a little bit to say about the fear of the Lord. And these are all Old Testament examples, but Peter, in his letter, says to fear God. There are other examples in the New Testament about fearing God, and it's not the kind of fear that pushes us away from Him, but the kind of fear that causes us to run to Him. I want you to think for a second. Think about someone that you know who does not fear God in the least. You see that in their actions. Think about who, who, Think about this person now. Are they making wise choices with their life? Think about it. See, to Ananias and Sapphira, God was just a concept. Maybe, maybe a, a good concept even to them. I, I don't know. But, it, but I believe that God was more of a concept. Something to understand, not a person. Not someone who saw. And we are all in danger of slipping into that kind of thinking. We can, we can come to gathering every week. We can study our Bibles. We can, we can practice kind of these, these things, but not ever walk with God in a relationship with Him and and we can see him as a concept and not as a real living person. And so they might have professed their faith in God, and it looks like they did. I mean, they were they were considered part of the church. They were probably baptized. So where were they in their hearts? I don't really know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't make that clear as far as whether or not they truly had faith in God. But I don't think that they, that they did. Regardless, the point is, they, they didn't really believe. I mean, there was a real lack of faith there. Do you see that? That have true faith in the Lord means that you know that He sees and that He cares about our actions and that you wouldn't want to go and try and fool the church, his family. So I, I don't think that they they had real faith. I, I don't think that they would have even considered trying to pull the stump. But here's the thing: word starts to spread about this. Happen. Where it starts to spread throughout the church and, and all over. I think that they, three things, three things happened as a result of that. I think number one, they began to see how serious God was about his mission. Because here's what, here's, here's what I see here. This entire book is a story, one story of God's rescue mission. It's one story of how God is going to bring 
people back into right relationship with himself. After the fall, after Adam and Eve fall, the, the rest of this book is all about God redeeming, restoring humanity back to himself. This included, the book of Acts is included. This is not just some fun story about our beginnings. It's cool that it is about our beginnings, but it's so much bigger than that. This is, this is God's story of redemption. This is His plan to save the world. And here, Satan uses these people. It said, did you catch what Peter said? Satan has filled your heart to lie. So Satan is using these people to attack the church from the inside. And we'll see as we go on in this book that, that that's the way he usually does it. There are some attacks. There's persecution from the outside, to be sure. But the majority of the time, Satan attacks the church from the inside. Because that's a lot sneakier. So, from the inside, Satan plans this attack. And he's going to most likely try and put these people into a position of leadership and influence. People that definitely should not be. And from there you can really cause damage, really. But, hey, listen. God wasn't going to have it. He wasn't going to have anybody stop His plan to save the world. This is too big. This is too important. So I believe that this would have helped the church to see how serious God takes this mission. Because He put everything on the line for this. I think that, number two, it helped the church to see how serious God is about His family. About the church. I think that, I can just imagine them kind of starting to say things like, Wow. You messed with his family, you mess with him. Right? You mess with God's family, you mess with God. And man, that, that puts some fear. Especially if you have, if you're another Ananias and Sapphira, if you're in there for the wrong reasons, you probably jet it. Right? You're, you're like, I'm getting the heck out of here. You know, I was just here to, I was just here to gain a, you know, reputation as a moral person, or to meet people, or whatever. I'm getting the heck out of here. They saw how serious God is about His family protecting His family. And then thirdly, I think that they began to see how serious God is about sin. See, when you have a fear, a healthy fear of God, you, yeah, you're, you're still drawn to Him. You, you still go to Him. You don't, you don't turn away. You go to Him, but you revere Him. You respect Him. You honor Him. Sin is a terrible offense against God. And I think that they were reminded of that because, see, this is what I think happened is the gospel was so new. The, the gospel was so new to them that, that God, God could forgive me of my sin. 
God could consider me righteous because of what Jesus did? That, that I could be credited with Jesus' righteousness? It's amazing that just by faith, just by faith, my sins could be paid for. Paid for. So, it's possible for this church, and guys, it's possible for us too, that we could, as we learn about God's grace, that we could also forget what it took for our sins to be forgiven. We could forget how serious sin is. See, the gospel doesn't teach us that sin isn't serious. The gospel teaches us just how serious sin really is. We were slaves to it. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that anyone who sins is a slave of sin. But it says in Romans 6 that we've been set free from slavery to sin. Because of what Jesus did. But if we ever start to think that sin isn't serious, we need to go back to the gospel, the same gospel that tells us that we are forgiven, that our sins are pardoned through faith. And we need to see that, yeah, it took the life of a perfect God who became man. Sin is very serious. So God hates sin. Not only because He's holy and sin is evil, but because sin is deadly to us. It's like leprosy. It, it destroys us from the inside out. And God hates whatever destroys what He loves. Sin just eats away at us. When we leave sin unchecked, it destroys us. Sin separated us from God. He restored that relationship through His Son. But we can still be separated in our experience of our relationship with God because of sin. Our sin destroys our faith, and we can only approach Him. We can only relate to Him through faith. So, God hates sin. So, how did this event with Ananias and Sapphira lead to such incredible growth? That's what I want to get to. How did this lead to such growth in the church? Why did it prove to have such a positive impact? And I think that it is this. That sin still Grieves God. It says in Ephesians 4 that our sins grieve the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit. So it quenches Him from working. It quenches the Holy Spirit from using us in the way, in the way that He wants to. So be careful. This is what 
I want to be reminded of, and I want all of us to be reminded of this morning, is that, yes, there, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ. Your sins are not counted against you. God sees you as He sees His own Son. You are hidden in Christ. This is what we preach. This is the Gospel. Yes. Don't, please don't walk out of here feeling condemned or full of shame. Because that is, that is not the Gospel. But maybe we need a calibration. Maybe we need to see that Yes, I am not condemned. I, I am forgiven. I'm accepted in Jesus. He, he loves me. God loves me. He, but sin, it's deadly disease to me. It'll destroy me from the inside out. It'll keep me from being used by God in the way that He wants to use me. And sin is serious because... It took Jesus' death to pay the penalty for our sin. So I think that people hear about this event. They, they hear about Ananias and Sapphira scrolling up to the leaders of the church with this plan, this con. And they hear about how they tried to get away with this. There was just zero fear of God and and I think that it put fear. I know that it did. It says that it did. It put a fear in the church. Healthy fear of God. So, the church, I think, begins to rid itself of whatever sin was present. It just, it's going, you know, I think that they were saying, you know, I better check myself. This sin is serious. It's serious. And they start getting rid of this disease that's in this leprosy. They start fighting against it. Did you know that you're supposed to fight against your sin? That you're supposed to kill it? You're supposed to treat it like, like a disease that's come into your body that you need to destroy sin because it will destroy you if you don't? A man named John Owen, a long time ago, said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. You need to be killing sin. You need to be in the. You need to be actively killing sin, making war against it, because it will destroy you if you don't. I love this in Second Timothy, chapter two, nineteen through twenty-one. Listen to this. This is just. This is so, so huge. It says, God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those who are born again, who call upon the name of the Lord, are to depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready 
for every good work. There it is. There's the key. This is how the church became so effective. This is why this massive growth spurt happens right after this. The church all of a sudden sees more miracles and the, and the kingdom of God is spreading more than ever people are coming to know the Lord. I think it's because they cleansed themselves of what was dishonorable, making them useful to the Lord, ready for every good work. This is so applicable to us. This is so applicable. I know that we talk so much in here about being on mission, living your life as a missionary, going after your neighbors, sharing the gospel with people, inviting your friends and your family and your co-workers to come and to, to hear the gospel. We talk about these, these things all the time. We're passionate about people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. And we want you to be passionate about it too. But here's the takeaway this morning. Maybe the best thing that you can do to help the mission is to repent of sin. Maybe, maybe the first thing we need to do this morning is to say, you know, there's been some things I've been holding on to. I wasn't treating sin very seriously. And so before I go out there and I want to see the kingdom of God spread in a movement like we've never seen. And then I need to start with me. I need to make sure that I'm getting rid of anything that's dishonorable, anything that's hindering God from using me the way that He wants to use me. See, your private sins don't just affect you. My private sins don't just affect me. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. See, church, we're the body of Christ. Many members making up one whole body. If there's disease in you, if there is sin that's just staying unchecked in you, it's, it's affecting the whole body. Your sins don't just affect you. My sins don't just affect me. They're like leprosy. They'll destroy us. They'll keep us from being used by God. So, if I have unrepentant sin in my life, then all of you are weaker. And if you have unrepentant sin in your life, then all of us are weak. You know, this is, this is the really good news. This is where the good news comes in and Nails this. The blood of Jesus is just 
by God right now, today. I mean, we're not talking about this long process. We're just talking about today, making a decision. Repentance is a change of mind. So it's just today, just saying, you know what? I'm done. And, and it can stop today. It, we can, church, we can walk out these doors a cleansed vessel. Because Jesus did the hard work. He did all the work. So this isn't about us earning our way into God's favor. He did that. It's not about us trying to get points with God. He did that. He earned all the points. This is just about us being a cleansed vessel so that God can use us the way He wants to use us. Seeing that sin is so serious that it took Jesus' life. So yes, our sin does matter. The challenge for us is that we don't make the mistake that Ananias and Sapphira made thinking that it doesn't really matter, that God doesn't really see. Our choices matter. The other thing that I want to just say is that this passage to me, what this says to me is if you're an Ananias or a Sapphira, if you're using the church for your own gain, this passage should make you tremble. I mean, if you're here because you want to look a certain way, there's a certain reputation that you long for, you want honor, this passage should make you tremble. And it gives me great confidence. Because God protects His church. He loves His family so much that He will stop at nothing to protect them. So, Joe, if you want to go ahead and come up, what we're going to do this, this morning is I want to give us a chance to respond to this. This is a challenging thing. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Fear God in that way. Fear hypocrisy. Fear being a fake. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're hearing this and you're going, you know, this is, this is serious. I've never seen my, my rebellion against God as serious. But it is. And you want to put your faith in Jesus. Then there's nothing stopping you. There's no, you don't have to confess your sins to a priest. You don't have to do it. You just need to talk to the Lord. You need to put your trust in Him. And what we're going to do in just a minute is the band's going to play the first song. We're not going to stand. We're not going to get up. We're not going to sing for the first song. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to talk to the Lord. And we're going to take one song to do business with the Lord. I don't want us to go home, get caught up in getting lunch and 
and, and forget this. So we're going to deal with this now. I want us to walk out the doors cleansed. So I want to encourage you to get on your knees if you're physically able. Just as an act of humility before the Lord. I'm not too proud to get on my knees. If you need to get on your face, whatever you need to do to humble yourself before God. Because He's the only one who matters. Who cares what anybody else here thinks? So, search your heart. Take some time. Confess it. If you, if you find sin in there that you know you're holding on to, God reveals to you. Confess it to the Lord. Agree with Him that it's evil. Confess it to Him and then trust that the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So, I'll start us out in prayer. Just a, just a, a few minutes. And, uh, and then band's going to continue. And you guys, you guys respond to the Lord however you want to respond to Him. Father, I pray that today would be a, a line in the sand, a marker in the history of Valley Town, the day that a great group of God became an even greater group of God in this valley. I pray that it would be the day that individuals would look back to and say that was the day that it all changed. Me. That was the day that I got I got sick of my sin and I, and I started to hate it. I started to see it the way that you see it, Lord. I pray that God, you would show us that your Holy Spirit would move and you would show us evil, sin in our heart that we don't even know is there. Strengthen us, Lord, to let go of it, to give it over to you. You took care of it. You broke sin's power and Calvary. Pray, Father, that you would help us to walk out of here not feeling condemned, knowing that we are forgiven, that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, empowered to go out and be used by you a vessel for honor and use. Ready for every good